Hello and welcome to the Family Planning Files, a podcast developed by the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning. I'm your host, Katherine Atchison, and our podcast today, part of our ongoing series, Coding Within, will be discussing the current state of telehealth and HIPAA. Our speaker, Ann Finn, is a healthcare reimbursement consultant and a national trainer with many reproductive healthcare organizations and heads her own company, Ann Finn Consulting, LLC. Welcome back to the podcast, Ann. Thanks, Catherine, and thanks for joining us. Welcome to our new listeners, and welcome back if you have listened to other podcasts in the Coding with Ann series. We're very excited to be able to offer these focused coding sessions to provide you with some tips and guidance to help you effectively capture and code your services, resulting in both appropriate and timely reimbursement. Since the start of COVID-19, healthcare providers have been especially pressed to find ways to reduce infection spread while still providing necessary care, resulting in an increased demand for telehealth services. And in response, Medicare, Medicaid, and many private insurers have relaxed restrictions around how telehealth can be used, trying to open up access for more providers to meet patient demand by allowing patients and providers to be in their homes, as well as allowing more platforms such as FaceTime or Skype, both of which are readily available via a patient's smartphone or home computer. Some states have now even allowed telephonic-only exchanges. While we understand far more about COVID-19 now and how to address it in our communities, demand for telehealth has remained high, and many providers are utilizing telehealth platforms to see patients, particularly ones in rural or remote areas or vulnerable due to particular health conditions. This is a great way to expand access to medical providers for our clients. We'll be reviewing the current state of telehealth guidance regulations and guidance around HIPAA, as well as providing best practices properly coding for telehealth services today. It's important to think about how you are currently using telehealth visits and how you might be able to expand your services with telehealth overall. So to start for our listeners, would you define what is considered telehealth, Anne? Sure, Catherine. That's a great place to start off. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, defines telehealth as the use of electronic information and telecommunications technologies to support and promote long-distance clinical health care, patient and professional health-related education, and public health and health administration. Technologies include video conferencing, the internet, store and forward imaging, and landlines and wireless communications. And as healthcare providers and those that support them, we're always focused on HIPAA in order to protect patient information and confidentiality. How does HIPAA impact telehealth services? That's so important, Catherine. HIPAA compliance is such an integral and important part of healthcare services. The Office of Civil Rights, or OCR at HHS, is responsible for enforcing certain regulations issued under HIPAA to protect the privacy and security of protected health information. During the COVID-19 national emergency, covered healthcare providers subject to HIPAA rules have been able to communicate with patients and provide healthcare services through remote communication technologies to increase access to care. Some of these technologies and the manner in which they are used may not fully comply with existing or pre-pandemic requirements of the HIPAA rules. 
The OCR issued a notification of enforcement discretion for remote communications, and currently they have not been imposing penalties for noncompliance with the pre-pandemic regulatory requirements. This applies to telehealth provided for any reason, regardless of whether the telehealth service is related to the diagnosis and treatment of health conditions related to COVID-19. This would include family planning services, including contraception and the diagnosis and treatment of other related issues. Under this notice, covered healthcare providers may use popular applications that allow for video chats, including Apple FaceTime, Facebook Messenger video chat, Google Hangouts, Zoom, Skype, etc. And in improved instances, telephonic or audio only calls to provide telehealth without risk that the OCR might seek to impose a penalty for non-compliance. Providers are encouraged to notify the patients, though, that these third-party applications potentially introduce privacy risks and providers should enable all available encryption and privacy modes when using such applications and take steps to reasonably ensure privacy during all patient-practitioner interactions. However, remember platforms such as Facebook Live, Twitch, and TikTok, or the similar communication applications, those are public-facing and they should not be used for the provision of telehealth. While these relaxed regulations have been in place since the onset of the pandemic, we do need to monitor our state and payer guidance for long-term policies and changes that may occur to overall telehealth. While these relaxed regulations have been in place since the onset of the pandemic, we do need to monitor our state and payer guidance for long-term policies and changes that may occur. But overall, telehealth is here to stay. And what about patient rights and informed consent during telehealth services? That's an important question, Catherine. Informed consent requirements for telehealth often vary state by state and across payers. While getting a patient's consent for telemedicine visits may not be a requirement in your state, it's still a telemedicine best practice. The practitioner should confirm the patient's identity and provide the patient with basic information about the services that he or she will be receiving via telehealth, along with their verbal consent to the teleservice. This should be documented in the patient's record and dated. So what about Medicaid and their policies in regards to telehealth services? Medicaid provides a great deal of flexibility to states that wish to use telehealth services in their programs. States can cover telehealth using various methods of communication, such as a telephone or video technology, you know, that's been commonly available on smartphones and other devices like we discussed. Again, it's important to check with your local Medicaid program for their latest guidance during and after this pandemic. For example, here in New York State, where I currently reside, Medicaid now allows for telephonic visits and check-ins and has provided specifics on how to bill and get paid for the different types of visits based on the type of facility and the provider you are. Just like Medicare, New York State and others are reimbursing telehealth services at parity or at the same rates as a face-to-face visit. There also has been no cost sharing for COVID-related during the pandemic. In telehealth policy, there are the terms originating and distant service sites. Can you explain what those terms are referring to? (laughs) Yes, those terms can be confusing. The originating site is where the patient is located at the time the healthcare services are delivered by means of telehealth. On the other hand, the distance site is where the provider is located during the visit. 
During the pandemic, both the patient and provider rules have been relaxed and includes their homes and other locations. Providers must ensure that the patient privacy is protected. For example, taking calls from private secure spaces or using headsets. It's important to ensure the patient feels comfortable and has privacy where they are located during the visit. We talk a lot about the importance of documentation for billing services in many of our other podcasts. What documentation is required for reporting a telehealth service for billing? Yes, documentation is critical. Telemedicine doesn't change the fact that a provider should use their best clinical judgment and document their medical decision-making in the patient's medical record. The expectation is the same for documenting an in-person visit, but we add in a few extras. Let's start with what we document for all visits, both in person and telehealth, right? We document, we always document the assessment and all diagnoses managed during the visit. For established diagnosis, we want to specify if the patient's condition is stable, improved, or worsening. Document rationale for ordering diagnostic tests and procedures. And clearly describe the management of the patient. Examples, prescription drugs, including contraception, over-the-counter medications, decision for surgery. What is the plan of care and next steps? And remember, the E&M coding guidelines were updated in 2021 for picking the level of E&M code, whether it's in person or on an audiovisual call. Telehealth visit documentation should also include the verification that the service was provided via telehealth, the location of the patient, the location of the provider, the names and credentials such as MD, DO, or NP of all the people involved in the telemedicine visit and their role in the encounter at both the originating and distant sites. And remember, all time-based codes must be documented in the chart note so to support its billing. It's very helpful to hear about the documentation needed to support telehealth services. And after the documentation, how does a clinician bill for those services? Most payers will require a place of service or a POS O2 on a claim if you are billing a professional or a HICFA claim format to indicate that a billed service was furnished as telehealth. There are exceptions to this as being asked to use a place of service of where the service would have occurred a face-to-face, such as POS 11 for a clinic during the pandemic. Check with your local payers for recent guidance. UB claim formats use a locator code or a zip plus four rather than the place of service codes. But don't worry, this is a billing function and your billing staff should take care of this detail. You want to include ICD-10 diagnosis codes to support all the services being billed. Remember, payers are not limiting the diagnosis codes for telemedicine services during the pandemic. The patient does not need to have a cough, fever, or COVID-related symptoms to have a telemedicine service covered. Any diagnosis or condition has been eligible to be billed via telehealth during the pandemic. Next, we want to submit those claims for telemedicine services using the appropriate CPT code for the covered service. Check with your payers for guidance on accepted codes and modifiers that may be needed. Examples of billable codes, depending on your payer and their rules, include for the telehealth services, including the evaluation and management services that would generally occur in person with an MD or nurse practitioner or physician's assistant, we would still use those CPT codes 99202 to 99215. Those are for the office or other outpatient visits. 
We also have virtual check-ins or brief communication technology-based services for patients to communicate with their provider and avoid unnecessary trips to the doctor's office, clinic, and those include CPT code 99441 to 99443. Those are telephone E&M services. So again, an E&M service is provided by the MD, NP, PA, the people that are licensed to use those codes. We also have HCPCS code G2012 for check-ins. Next, we have e-visits. Some payers will cover e-visits that include non-face-to-face patient-initiated communications with their provider without going to the doctor's office or clinic by using online patient portals. And some of the codes that can be covered, and again, you have to check with your payers, but CPT code 99421 to 99423. Those are online digital evaluation services based on time. And I've also seen CPT codes 98970 to 98972. Those are for providers who cannot bill in E&M services, but the code is not widely accepted. So again, you've got to check with your local payers. After selecting the CPT code, we want to append the correct modifier if required for telehealth services. So a really common modifier is modifier 95. It indicates a telemedicine service rendered via a real-time interactive audio and video telecommunications system. So when we have an audio-visual visit with a practitioner, we're going to add a modifier 95 to that ENM code. And in the coding manual for CPT codes, there is an appendix P that goes over all of the different codes that are available. So you can look up different code definitions. There's also a GT modifier um, that is sometimes accepted um, in lieu of modifier 95. And there's a GQ modifier that typically is used for store and forward technology that's not in real time, but collects images and data to be transferred and interpreted later. So let's consider a non-COVID patient who's in need of birth control. Lisa has an audio-visual visit to connect with the nurse practitioner to obtain a refill of her oral contraceptive pills. Lisa receives patient-centered counseling and the nurse practitioner sends a prescription in for the pills. The provider would bill an evaluation and management code 99202 to 99215. And if telephonic only, she may use one of those time-based codes that I had mentioned 99441 to 99443. And we'd use the appropriate diagnosis code such as Z30.41, the encounter for surveillance or repeat prescription of the contraceptive oral pill. A modifier 95 or GT may be appended right to the ENM code to indicate that the telehealth service. The provider is typically reimbursed the same amount as if she saw the patient face-to-face when using the audio-visual platforms. Check with your local payers for up-to-date guidance to ensure that you are complying with all the current regulations. It is important to review your payments also to ensure your telemedicine visits are being paid at the expected rate of parity with face-to-face visits. Prior to the pandemic, telemedicine visits were often reimbursed at a discounted rate. So we want to make sure that we're receiving the optimal full payments that we expect. I know we covered a lot of information today, so let's just take a moment to recap some key takeaways relating to telehealth during and after the pandemic. Patients can currently receive telehealth services in all areas of the country and in all settings, including being in their homes. CMS has not enforced a requirement that patients have to have an established relationship with a physician or nurse practitioner or other provider providing telehealth during the public health emergency, meaning new patients can receive telehealth services. 
Clinicians who want to use audio or video communication technology to provide telehealth to patients have been able to use many platforms, including FaceTime, Zoom, Skype, etc. during the pandemic to increase access to medical care. Providers should, however, take every measure to protect patient privacy during telehealth visits made from home or other places outside of the clinic. Some states and payers are allowing and reimbursing telephonic-only visits during the pandemic and hopefully beyond. There's advocacy work being done to keep audio-only access long-term. Written consent for telehealth has not been required during the pandemic. However, the provider should still obtain verbal consent and document it. This may change down the road. Next, telehealth services are typically reimbursed to parity with existing or face-to-face visits. Example, 100% of the Medicaid payment rate during the pandemic. Review those remittances to ensure correct payments are being received. Research and resubmit claims that have issues impacting reimbursement and be on the lookout for changes in policies. Most payers are waiving copays and deductibles for telehealth and COVID services. Again, this may change, so it's important to monitor payer guidance. Telehealth services are documented like face-to-face visits and must meet the definitions of the codes for services provided during the temporary guidance changes. Time-based codes have time documented in the chart note to support the service build. Finally, check with your local and Medicaid and payers for up-to-date guidance. Expect changes as we continue to move ahead and beyond the pandemic. I hope this podcast has helped you to expand your knowledge of telehealth services And I just want to say thank you all so much for your continuing hard work and your dedication to your patients during this trying time. And thank you so much for joining us today, Anne, and for sharing your time and expertise with our listeners. For more content, including previous podcast episodes, search for the Family Planning Files or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For transcript of this podcast, visit our website at www.ctcfp.org. While you are there, you can sign up for other events and continuing education opportunities, including our annual conference, as well as our online newsletter, Clinical Connections. You can also follow the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning on Twitter at NCTCFP, all lowercase, and on LinkedIn. The National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning is funded by the Office of Population Affairs to provide continuing education, training, and technical assistance to Title X grantees, subrecipients, and service sites. This activity is supported by DHHS Grant Number 1, FPTPA 006031-01-00. The contents of this podcast solely represent the views of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official positions of the Department of Health and Human Services, or DHHS, Office of the Assistant Secretary of Health, or OASH, or the Office of Population Affairs, or OPA. No official support or endorsement by DHHS, OASH, and or OPA for opinions or products described in this activity is intended or should be inferred. Theme music written by Dan Jones and performed by Dan Jones and the Squids. Other production support provided by the Collaborative to Advance Health Services at the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Nursing and Health Studies. And finally, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of the Family Planning Files.